Yo. Head up, think fast. You're about to feel the blast. It's the dopest podcast on the net. Oh, yeah. All is geeks. Fresh your bet. We round the world. We round the net. So get ready and get set. Cause we make it look easy. No sweat. Jeff and Jordan, the host. Yeah, they be the best. From the north to the south, to the east, to the west. They cover movies, comics, TV shows, books. These guys gonna get you hooked. Don't stop now, just take a look. And don't forget to sign our Facebook. Cause what they doing is board games, video games, yeah, they on it. They fly like a comet. Interviews is up. This podcast is pure. Give voice to your inner geek, that's for sure. Geek out any topic. No one ain't gonna ever, ever stop it. So if you wanna go and get it on, then head to allisgeeks.com. Welcome to episode 69 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. And I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. Go ahead and get it out of your system now. What? Really? After all the giggling you did during episode 68, I thought episode 69 was going to really trip your trigger. Why would that? What's special about episode 69? I don't don't like you right now. Hey, by the way, Don's in the house. Hey, everyone. (laughs) So, obviously, we're going to have some anime conversation tonight. Giggity. Giggity. For episode 69. I've seen enough hints I didn't know where that's going. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I don't have a ton for during, for for general. Of course, we are on Mixler live streaming. Uh, If you care to join us over there, again, uh, the allisgeeks.com website has a link over to Mixler, or you can listen to us right on uh, the All Us Geeks site. But of course, if you go over to Mixler and join us on Mixler, you can be in the chat room and interact with other listeners. Yes, not just be elsewhere. <laughs> yes. Actually have a name. And of course, if you follow us on Mixler, you'll actually get like an email, I believe, when we go live as well to remind you. Sometimes just randomly too. You get some random email I'm not aware of? Or? No, the other day. Oh, you mean we'll, we'll record randomly. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yes, we did. We did a uh, first time the Game Crafter official podcast or the the game of crowdfunding. <laughs> I went I went to my other job for a minute. <laughs> we did a game of crowdfunding interview. Jordan sat in. We had uh, Seppi in in studio here in the Geek Compound, and we just decided, what the heck, we'll take it live. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us towards the beginning of the episode this time. <laughs> How you doing, man? The only other thing I think uh, I kind of, again, somewhat self-serving, but I don't care because it's partially my show. Protospiel Minnesota was not too long ago, and that went off really well. And Don was actually there as well. He got to participate. That was fantastic. I got a big thanks to you and to Matt for putting that on. It was just a great show. It was it was a good time and a great turnout. It really was. So uh, We had a lot of fun with that one. We will be doing more. So we are definitely looking at what we're going to do for next year. But yeah, it was, it was an amazing turnout. Lots of first time attendees, which was really cool. Uh, and lots of, lots of, uh, publishers. I heard the game got picked up at the convention or at the event. So, oh, wow. Uh, that was kind of cool to hear too. And I know there were a few other games that got several, uh, publisher interest as well, which in the grand scheme of things, that's not the overall goal of Protospiel, but it's kind of cool when those kind of things happen. All right. So with that.
Animate Don's Lecture, which is sponsored by Grey Gnome Games, one of our Patreon supporters. So thank you very much, Jason, over at Grey Gnome Games for supporting all us geeks. What do you got for us? Well, I've been doing a series of differences or strange things you might see in anime, trying to understand what you see and make sense out of it. Um, I'm on part two, part B of part two. By the way, you got a, a, a yay for Don. Oh, so thanks to whoever that was. <laughs> Chris. Thanks, Chris. My first part was talking about Japanese culture a little bit. Second part has been about the settings in anime series. And part 2A was the present day, which is mainly school. So part two, I'm going to talk about Japanese history a little bit. And when I talk about history, I'm not talking about these shows that take place in some nebulous time in the Japanese past with flying monsters. I'm talking about um, stuff in shows that references specific historical figures and events. Now, Japan has a very rich, long history, but you don't need to know about pretty much any of it, except for two specific pieces, because it seems that pop, pop culture only really cares about two specific pieces. So in anime and manga, if you see something historical, it's almost always from one of these two. They are both times of great upheaval and change in Japan's history. The first one, takes place uh, around um, 1467 to 1603, or really the second half of that, called the Sengoku, or Warring States Period. At the time, Japan was divided into lots of little individual provinces that were all fighting for land and influence. At least some of those leaders dreamed of conquering all of Japan. Now, it was actually united as a single country under an emperor, but the emperor had no real power. It was really kind of a ceremonial position. The Sengoku period is heavily romanticized in Japanese pop culture. It's sort of like the Three Kingdoms era of China, if you're aware of that from like Dynasty Warriors video games or anything like that. It's very similar. Warriors, warlords, and tacticians are all treated as epic heroes in modern-day culture. There are way too many people to mention. But I'll talk about a couple of them just to kind of give a framework for what you might see of this. I said that lots of guys were thinking about uniting Japan under themselves. One guy who... Well, it looked like he was about to do it. Nobunaga of the Oda clan. He conquered most of his enemies and then was assassinated by one of his own generals. He was a very forward-thinking guy. Um, one of his big tactical advantages is that he adopted foreign weaponry, namely firearms. When it comes to pop culture, he's seen an interesting dichotomy. Sometimes he's seen as one of Japan's greatest figures ever, one of his greatest generals, greatest leaders. Other times, he was also known as a, a brutal man. And which is given the moniker Demon King. And sometimes you see that in an anime series where he's either allied with demons or a demon himself. So sometimes he's a great hero and sometimes he's a sort of like their own Hitler. Well, after Nobunaga died, one of his retainers, Hideyoshi Toyotomi, finished conquering Japan. He was actually originally a peasant and a servant of Nobunaga that Nobunaga recognized his accomplishments and uh, made him a samurai, which is kind of an unusual thing in a culture that was very, you know, family-based. But again, Nobunaga was a forward-thinking kind of guy. In pop culture, if you see him referenced, he usually looks monkey-like or something is a monkey. That's because he was said to be somewhat monkey-like in appearance, and Nobunaga actually nicknamed him Monkey. Well, after he conquered all of Japan, after a little while, he died of health com complications. He had set up a council to supervise Japan until his son grew up to be old enough, and after he died, they pretty much started fighting right away. The guy who won all that was Ieyasu Tokugawa. He then established the Tokugawa Shogunate, 
which lasted more than two centuries, which leads us into the, the second time period that is interesting. The Meiji Restoration, or Meiji Revolution, in the mid-1800s. There's numerous reasons for the revolution to take place, uh, a lot of factors, but one major one was the United States, because we're such nice guys. One of the big uh, aspects of the Tokugawa shogunate was that they shut their doors to the rest of the world. They kicked out all the foreign dignitaries, didn't allow anybody in the country for a couple hundred years, until the U.S. sent Commodore Perry in 1853 with his fleet of black warships to nicely ask the Japanese to open up their ports for trading. Of course, faced with technology well beyond anything they had, they didn't have a lot of a choice. So the influx of new ideas and um, foreign thinking changed a lot of things within the country and stirred up a lot of stuff and then eventually was a major factor in leading to the big revolution. When I say revolution, it's not like the American Civil War where we fairly literally drew a line in the sand and shot at each other. This, once again, was all the various provinces and clans are all vying for influence and prestige. The time of flip-flopping allegiances, political posturing, and occasionally some battles. It all ended with the Shogun returning power to the Emperor, basically giving up and saying, here, Emperor, it's all yours. The important group to remember out of all this that you see in pop culture over and over again is the Shinsengumi. They're a strange group. They were made up of ronin, which are masterless samurai, farmers, merchants, and others. And Tom Cruise. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Just a whole bunch of different walks of life got together, and they wanted to fight for the government. They wanted to take take up the sword, which was interesting because swords were illegal for anybody but samurai to carry. So they had a, kind of a hard time finding a place in society. Eventually, they were sort of adopted by one of the provinces, and they were made a sort of policing force for Kyoto, which was then the capital. That's where they donned their now famous light blue uniforms, which you see commonly. Curiously, they were loyal to the shogunate, which, as I just noted, was the loser in the conflict. Now, the old adage that history is written by the winners is very true. The losing side is usually vilified in history books. Well, oddly, of all the different groups that were involved in the Meiji Restoration, they're the ones that are put on the pedestal as, as the great figures. They're really the darlings of pop culture, and their names ring in the hearts of housewives across Japan. It's a thing. And that's all I have for today. So there's our history lesson. Right, so now we'll go on to game review, sponsored by Sheppy. Not to be confused with Seppi, who we had on not too long ago, but Sheppy. So thank you very much for supporting us over on Patreon and allowing us to continue the podcast. And real quick, before we get into the game review, too, I want to just also give him an additional shout out for, um, you know, every once in a while, Jordan and I have these. Should we still be doing this conversations? <laughs> and that comes from a number of factors. And sometimes all it takes is one good thing to happen for us to go, this is obviously why we do this. And Sheppy gave us a very nice shout out on Facebook not too long ago uh, about him listening to other board game podcasts, hearing a bunch of things that said in those that made him appreciate what we put out. So that was very nice to hear. And, uh, and it happened to come at one of those times where at least I was, I don't know how Jordan was feeling, but I was like, are we still doing this? <laughs> kind of, uh, feelings were running through my head. And Sheppy's comment, of course, said, well, of made me go, well, of course we're still doing this. This is why we do this. Uh, so it's nice to get that reminder every once in a while. So thank you very much, Sheppy. All right. So tonight we're going to be taking a look at Valeria Card Kingdoms from Daily Magic Games. This was recently a Kickstarter game that has fulfilled, so I believe it should hopefully be in stores in the very near future. And 
Basically, uh, you're in the uh, kingdom of Valeria. You're controlling a duke or duchess, and you're trying to build up your part of the... You guys sound great in stereo. Beats the hell out of my phone. <laughs> oh, you're finally... Okay, that's cool. You're finally not listening on your phone. You're not driving at the moment anymore. <laughs> so you, you take on the role of a duke or a duchess, and you're trying to build up basically uh, your kingdom. And so with this game, you get 215 cards. You get a bunch of citizen cards, some monster cards, some domain cards, and your Duke or Duchess cards. Then you get some reference cards, uh, some exhausted cards, and your starting uh, cards. And then it comes with dividers, which is nice. A couple other companies that could take that hint. They're actually functional dividers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, at least one other company that could take that hint. Uh, it comes with two six-sided dice and 189 tokens. So 189 wooden tokens uh, that represent your strength, gold, magic, and victory points. And then it also comes with some... And those Apparently are wood. 189 those are, is not enough. Yeah, 189. <laughs> this is true. 189 wooden tokens. And then it also comes with a few chits. So like uh, uh, 12 multiplier chits because... The 189 by itself is not enough. The chits allow you to say, well, this token is worth times five. This one's worth times ten. Those are still not worth enough (laughs) during certain games. They need the times 20 expansion pack. (laughs) Yeah, they during certain two-player games, I should stress that too. During certain two-player games, we ran out of tokens. And it is unlimited resources, so you're you're not supposed to run out of tokens. You just got to figure out how you're going to do that. So we we did some some math and conversion and stuff along our game. And then they have like a first player and resting token um, as well, and those are cardboard chits. And the resting one only comes in a certain number of players, so we didn't really. I think that's the like the five player version, if I remember correctly. Let's see, Chris's obligatory question: What do the dice feel like? Well, they feel like dice. Um, actually, they're 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 pretty light, but they're um, larger than what you would see consider a standard six sided. So they're slightly chunkier, but they're a light plastic. They're about the size of um, like King of, King Tokyo. of Tokyo. Yeah, but lighter, I would say, than the King oh, of Tokyo lighter, dice. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, but I mean, again, there's two of them. They 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 do just fine, and they're numbers, not pips, if that matters to anybody. <laughs> so let's see. Setup. Uh, you're gonna start with like two gold, one magic. Right, yep. two gold, one magic, a starting peasant and a starting knight, and then you're going to have a choice of one of two dukes or duchesses. So you'll get two cards, decide which one you're going to keep. Why that matters is because it's the hidden scoring kind of mechanic. So you're going to have a lot of scoring that's done out in the open, but until the game ends, the other players don't 100% know what your duke or duchess scores. So it could be something like, if you have the most, and I forget what the symbols are right now, but if you have the most like priest type characters, or not the most, it's you get points per every one you have. Your resources, whatever resources you have left over at the end, a lot of them have points for that. So for every two, for every three, for every whatever, you get an extra bonus point, victory point at the end. Different things like that. Domains, all this, all the good stuff. So, uh, you'll pick whoever you're going to start with. And then the setup is you have like five different types of monsters you use. So there's more monsters than you're going to use. You pick the five types you're going to use. There's some recommended setups in the, in the uh, booklet, in the rule book. So you can do that. 
Uh, otherwise, you can choose randomly. But you're ever you're only ever going to have one of each uh, n- numeric out. So there's only going to be one character that represents the one. There's only going to be one character that represents the seven, and so on like that. So um, you know you can't use the thief and the rogue because they're both sevens. So you'll set up your your row of characters that you can buy the monsters that you need to take out and then domains on the bottom and those are random as well you just uh, i think it's two down two face down in each row and then one face up in each row um and so you're going to have more monsters than you can use you're going to have more characters than you can use and you're going to have more domains than you're going to use in a single game so right there there's a little hint towards the replayability don't <laughs> i said hint we have an order i said hint so you set all this up. You've got your starting stuff. I'm enjoying a Mike's Hard Mango Punch. I'm sure I'll be enjoying the show more. It's a fair assessment. The more you drink, the more you'll enjoy us. I'd like to take offense to that, but I can't. <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> all right. So uh, on your turn, you will you'll roll. You'll roll the dice. And then whatever comes up on the dice. So, again, you you got two six-sided. Whatever comes up on the dice plus the total are all the citizen cards that will activate. So if you roll a two and a six, you're, if you have a two citizen, a citizen that's the two, a citizen that's the six, they'll both activate. And if you have a citizen that's an eight, that'll activate as well. And it'll activate for all players. Each citizen has a active player kind of power and then a passive player power. So if you're not the active player, you'll get the passive ability. So for instance, something might say, you know, the active player gets three gold, and I'm just making this up on the spot. The active player gets three gold, but the all the passive players get one gold, something like that. You roll the dice, and then the harvest phase is where the, the dice actually activate, and you gather all the resources and stuff that you would get uh, because of the rolls. And then you go on to the action phase, which you get to do um, two things. And you can do the same thing twice, or you can make it two different things. So you can slay a monster if you have enough combat, resources to slay a monster you can do that uh combat and or magic uh magic is wild and sometimes required (laughs) sometimes a a monster might say you have to have one magic plus five combat so you have to have one magic and you can have any combination of combat and magic tokens as long as you have at least one attack token so you always have to have at least one of the token that you're making the magic wild for. So if something costs gold, you and it, say it costs five gold, you can have three gold and two magic, and that'll be your five gold. Uh, but you always have to have at least one gold in in the pool. All right, so you can slay a monster, uh, and usually there not only are there victory points associated with slaying a monster, but you usually get something right away as well. So you might get some gold back, you might get some magic back, something like that. And then you can recruit a citizen. This is again spending your gold to decide which citizens you want to buy out of the, the pool. The one thing about buying citizens is they increase in cost by the more of them you have. So almost well, all of the citizens say cost plus. So it might say two plus, which means the very first one you own costs you two. The next one's going to cost you three and so on. Uh, so the more you try to buy of one type of citizen, the more it's going to cost you as you continue on. So you can do that. Uh, you can gain a resource. So you can gain a gold, a magic, or a strength token. And you can build a domain. So you can basically pay the cost of the domain. Now, the domain has kind of multi-cost. One is gold. 
uh, which is pretty straightforward. But then the other is symbols. So each of the characters you buy has, has a symbol attached to it. So it might say, in order to get this domain, it costs you 12 gold, but you need one rogue symbol and one holy symbol or, or two holy symbols and a rogue symbol, something like that. So you have to have already bought the citizens that have those symbols before you can buy that domain, even if you just, even if you already have the gold. And the symbols, you can't do any, you know, magic doesn't become wild for that or anything like that. The only reason to buy the priestess. <laughs> yeah, she, she's pretty. <laughs> uh, so those are the four, yeah, four things that you can do, um, in the action phase. Uh, you get to do two of them. And like I said, you can do something twice. So, I mean, you can slay two monsters if you have enough attack. You can buy two citizens if you have enough gold. Uh, domains, same thing. If you have the symbols and gold, you can do that, or you can just spend your turn gaining resources if you want. And then you go on to the end phase, which is just basically kind of the cleanup and anything that might happen there. And then probably, you know, that's your, your check for end game. Uh, end game is if all the domains are bought, that'll end the game. So if you have no more domains to buy, if all the monsters are slain, that'll end the game. Uh, or if you exhaust enough piles that equal, uh, the number of t- players times two. So in a two-player game, if you exhaust four citizen piles, I should make that clear, it's citizens. If you exhaust four citizen piles, that'll end the game as well. And exhausting a pile just basically means there's no more left of that particular citizen to buy. Those are the three ways that you can end the game. And then you just basically total up your points. So some of your, I don't think the citizens had any victory points on them. No, citizens have no Citizens victories. don't, but monsters, uh, domains, and again, there are certain things that, like some domains, some some monsters might give you additional victory points as well, or different cards could. So you might have earned some points along the way, and there, that's why there's also the, uh, in that 108 tokens, there are the victory point tokens as well, because you might earn some. So you total all that up, and then of course your duke or your duchess, you total up all the points you got off of that. So again, it could be... If you have certain types of characters, if you have domains, if you have resources, it could be all these different combinations of things, and you'll get a certain amount of hidden points off of that. Whoever has the most victory points wins. All right. So with that, we go to components. What do you think of the components, sir? First, wait, before you go, have you played this, Don? I have not. Okay. So this is new to Don. Describe the components. What do you think of the components? Uh, the components are pretty solid. You don't need a lot for this game, but what they give you is, is good. The card the cards are nice. Good card stock. It's not too thin. It's not the thickest we've ever seen, but it's not flimsy by any means. And it's not like it's a, a shuffle-type game. Right. The tokens are all... Well, they're all identifiable because they're all different color. Uh, but for the life of me, I can't... The magic just looks like a heart to me. So, like an actual human heart. I, I don't know why. So, I just refer to it as that all game. But the each is an individual shape, and each shape is recognizable. And uh, between the shape and the color, everything is easily recognizable. And then the dice, nice light dice, big dice, easy to read. Uh, componentry, I think, is pretty solid. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I enjoyed the, the components for this one. I, again, the wood tokens and everything were nice. For a while there, it was kind of cool to have the multiply multipliers. Almost would be nice to get even more of those. I mean, if we didn't get more of the resource tokens, which you can kind of understand there, there would, but another uh, another another slot of of multipliers even would be nice. Just a couple times twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, for somebody that 
finds a nice engine <laughs> and has a character that does has a has a duke that does pretty well if you keep if you hog resources. I'm not saying I I've done that, but I did that. <laughs> but yeah, overall, and like you said, I mean the the cards aren't all that thick, but at the same time, like you're not shuffling; they're just pretty much in front of you. You're not really the only thing you're going to shuffle is the domains. That's the yeah, that's yeah. You shuffle the domains a little bit. Yeah, so it's that that's fine by me. It it plays and it doesn't. The artwork is really nice. I I did like. All of the artwork in this game. So that was for the most part, the artwork is good, except for the lords. I found all the lords to be a little bit sketchy. Uh, (laughs) but but it's just like, I don't know. I don't know if these are real people. The dukes and duchesses? Yeah, the dukes and duchesses. I think some of them were. Okay. Because some of them I looked at and I was like, this is appealing to me. And others I looked at and like, whoa, this is, this is not nice at all. (laughs) But that's just for the dukes and the duchesses. If you, everything else, the actual, Stuff that you're going to look at for the entire game. It's all pretty solid. Flaming Skeleton, one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, Flaming Skeleton, yeah. All right, so mechanics for uh, Valeria Card Kingdoms. What do you think? The mechanics for Valeria Card Kingdoms are <laughs> reminiscent. No, there's a lot of a lot of hints of a lot of other games that I like, and they are reminiscent since I like it and not derivative because I do like it. I don't dislike it. There's there's a little bit of Thunderstone here in that you've got the monster tableau. There's a little bit of Machikaro, you're rolling the dice. There's a little bit of just a bunch of different things that I do like. And it all comes together to make a relatively nice game. And it all comes down to basically three steps. You roll your dice, you take your actions, and you see who won. The mechanics, uh, each individual phase, self-contained. There's, n- there's no interrupts that are going to mess up with your dice rolling until afterwards. Your four actions, there's nothing there that's going to impede you from doing anything except maybe a lack of tokens because your opponent is a pig. Uh, <laughs> and then determining victory or determining end game and victory. It's all very, nothing is going to stop the game from ending uh, once the end point is made. There's no, you know, time travel. There's nothing like that. There's nothing that's going to give you an extra round. So mechanically, it flows very well, and each phase within the list of things you're going to do, uh, very simple, very easy to keep track of. Yeah, I agree. The The mechanics flowed really well. I mean, I know you've played it, Machikoro, quite a bit. I have yet to play it. But, you know, that is one of the things you heard a lot. Even during the Kickstarter, you heard a lot. Oh, so this is just fantasy Machikoro. And you kind of let me know that there are some subtle differences mm-hmm. that I, I think work well. I, I like the idea that it's, it's not, it's the three combo yes. of the different characters that are triggering and stuff like that, which also then uh, again, c- combined with some of the domains and stuff I had made me kind of think about things because I could manipulate the dice. Mm-hmm. So it was this like, is a, I, I enjoy Machikoro. It's, uh, it reminds me a lot of SimCity because mm-hmm. you're building your city, but this I think is superior because there's more to it. Machikoro, you're just taking your best role, seeing how you screw somebody over, getting your money or whatever your benefit that turn is, if there is any, and then seeing what you can buy, see if you can be the first person to get your city built. And it sounds very similar to Valeria, or I guess Valeria sounds very similar to that, but with adding the the monsters to to fight to add bonus resources, have a much limited, much more limited palette of things to buy. Like in Machikoro, it's just a big stack. Mm-hmm. And it just comes out and comes out and comes out. So you might have five cards at the four spot. 
But with, you know, Valeria, there's just always going to be one card, which, which of the two fours you use is up to you, but there's still only going to be one four spot. Mm -hmm. You know, you can buy multiples of that, but it's still just going to be the same card. So there's a little bit, I'm not going to say uh, tactical because it's not a tactical game, but for me, it feels like there is a bit more depth because you do have to make slightly more in the decision realm than just what's the best card for me to buy right now. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, they're always available. So it's what card am I going to buy and, and what do I, what do I think is going to happen? And, and, and like it for me, it was like, you know, again, having that dice manipulation that kind of let me focus in on, a, on which cards I was going to, cause I could not quite, but I could pretty close to guarantee a, a, a fair range of numbers that I knew were going to come up for me. Yeah. You had two different ways to manipulate the dice yeah. and one of them was free. So that's, right. that's a pretty powerful combo you had going on. Yeah. So I, I like that, that as well. So I think the mechanics in this one, I liked a lot. I can't do the direct comparison to Machikoro, but I can see it just from looking at the rules and, and knowing it, how it's been played. I've said the name of the game several times, Chris. You need to stop drinking night now. <laughs> Put down the angry mango. And I'm about to say it again in a minute when we move to rules. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, uh, agree. And, and I think the mechanics are really solid in this one. And I think everything flowed really well for the game. And, and it just, yeah, it, it just flowed. I mean, it was like you got into it, you got going. And you were pretty much good to go, except for a couple things that we'll talk about here in the very near future. You can't even spell R-O-F-L. <laughs> Again, put down, put down the drink. Oh, maybe he was just talking to some guy named Rolf or, or awful. <laughs> <laughs> so we're moving on to the rules of Valeria card kingdoms. What is that? The rules for Jeff? It is the rules for Valeria card kingdoms. I see. Okay, then. Kingdoms of Cards in Valeria. Famous for its steel. <laughs> yes. So, the rules. What did you think of the rules? For the most part, okay. Almost everything that we would need to know is in the book. The book is laid out well-ish. This is not necessarily my favorite book. They lay things out more by icon than useful rules. But... <laughs> You read it. You taught it to me. I didn't have any game-breaking questions over the course of the games we played. And despite some, I, I guess I'd call it layout issues more than clarity issues. Despite some layout issues, it gives you everything you need to know to play the game. It gives you suggested layouts for your first play. It tells you everything that you need to know. All the symbols are explained and how things interact. Uh, examples are given. It's not that big a book overall. It does take up the the whole size of the box, but there's good art and the examples that are there are pretty good. It's there's only a couple things that we came across that were not addressed in the book. The one that I came across was the one domain that I bought said it let me slay a monster. Right, yeah. And there was no indication in the book cuz it's done by symbol, not by card, the facking that they do do. Does that mean I just get to kill it? Or I get to take the slay action, and if I do not have the ability to proc the proper slay action, uh, is it a wasted part of that card? Uh, but other than that, nothing we found lacking was really a game breaker. It's an okay book, and and you get uh, a good experience out of it. Yeah, I think the I mean the book is fairly solid. The the reference cards that come with it are really nice as well. 
because uh, they do additional explaining there. But Jordan's right on, I mean, again, I think we found a couple things that we kind of had to make a decision on the spot the last time we played. And then before the first time we played, I had already gone online to figure out the Duke scoring because that would have been uh. almost a showstopper right there because the way they lay out some of the Duke scoring is not intuitive. In fact, we came up with three or four interpretations that were not the valid interpretation according to, in fact, uh, they answered the question on board game geek, uh, which is where I found it. And somebody immediately came back to, with, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> are you sure that's really what you meant when you worded it this way? <laughs> Cause that's not at all what we pulled out of that. <laughs> no, we, we interpreted it every other way that everybody else was interpreting it when they first read it. But luckily before our first game, that was the one thing that I was questionable on. So I went on to board game geek and sure enough, there was the answer. Uh, so we've got to play that piece right, right away and not have a whole discussion around end of game scoring. That would have just sucked. <laughs> we were like at the end of the game and like, no, I read this this way. <laughs> I want to know if I have 12 points or 48. That's all I need to know. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a gotcha. I mean, it is out there on, on board game geek. And just for, uh, for anybody that's kind of got the game and is wondering, it's, it's basically along the lines of how you score your resources with your Duke. They kind of have three, they might say something like three times, and then it'll have each resource uh, with a comma between them. So it, again, gold, strength, magic. So it'll be three times gold, comma, strength, comma, magic. There are multiple ways to interpret that. Is it sets? Is it three of each kind? Is it, no, it's, Basically, you total up every resource you have left of those three types and divide it by three, and that's the points you get. So, are yeah, yes, because <laughs> some just, of the lords vary it. It's some are three, some are four, some are right. two. Yeah, and yeah, and so they do vary. So it is, it's very much. Yeah, it was very weird <laughs> the interpretation on that because again, you could say, do I get two points for each? You have to start discussing grade school math and orders of operations. (laughs) Well, we we did that (laughs) as well. We did, you know, (laughs) go back. There's there's no parentheses. Well, just follow regular order of operation, math operation at this point. So there are a couple little gotchas, but the biggest one was, to me, was the Duke thing. And luckily that was on BGG and we figured that out early. But by the rule book, because it sucks at the point where, like, they actually – Show a Duke. They explain everything, almost everything else on the Duke, I think, in the rule book, except for the one thing that needs the most explanation. <laughs> Just a couple of gotchas, but it, you can get through the game on almost everything else fairly easily. And again, if you just check out the BGG, the rules clarification section, uh, you can get a couple more questions answered. We are moving on to teachability of Valeria card kingdoms. I think this was a very easy one to teach. I think it's a very easy one to learn. I think uh, Jordan had kind of said earlier, it breaks down into very simple steps that you can follow very easily. So this is one I wouldn't have an issue with teaching casual gamers even. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think I liked about this one that I still kind of might see if Megan wants to play at some point, because one of her big problems is if there's games with lots of downtime between players, there's not a ton of downtime once you get going. And even when it's not your turn, you're at least collecting resources and stuff. So yep. you're at least paying attention to what the dice roll at the beginning of the phase. Uh, so that's kind of cool as well. What did you think about the teachability? I agree. Excellent. <laughs> so we'll move on to 
replayability of Valeria Card Kingdoms. Don't don't laugh at me. I'm feeling a little self 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 conscious right now. Stop it. <laughs> What'd you think about the replayability? For me personally, I would put this medium to low high uh replayability. I like the fantasy aspect more than I like the industrial or the commercial aspect of Shikoro. It's got a lot of things in there that I like overall. It's got a lot of replayability in that there's two cards, currently two cards for each number. They could do more if they really wanted to. People that got the Kickstarter got some bonus cards in there as some of their stretch goals. Mm -hmm. So that adds out of the box a little bit of replayability that the retail variant, (laughs) the retail variant, the retail version is not going to have. But between selecting your monsters, selecting your lords, and selecting your domains, and the domains and, and the lords are truly random, there is some some good replayability. Your goals, it's like uh, Waterdeep in that respect. You know, your goals are going to change each game based on which lord you choose. So there's, there's a lot of little pieces that make this a high replayability, but it's also sufficiently simple that I could see myself saying, I like this a lot. But it's it's not something that I want to hit the table like every week just because uh, it, it can turn into if you only roll one and three and you don't have a one and a three <laughs> just know ever. Mouth. I still don't know how you manage that like four or five turns in a row. One and three, one and three, one and three. When are you going to buy the one and three? It is statistically impossible for this to be happening. I don't need a one and a three. <laughs> That was uh, awesome. <laughs> it, it can get a little bit repetitive, so I can see that being the, the one major downfall. In the end, you are still just rolling dice for a limited number of things each round. But it's it's enjoyable. It's, uh, it's a good casual game. It's a good gateway game. It embraces dice rolling and cards. It's not... Uh, it's not a hardcore game, so it's it's good for open gaming. It's a gateway game. It's good for teaching. It it covers a lot of stuff. I think the replayability in general is 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 pretty good. I agree with you. I think it has a lot of replayability for a lot of stuff you mentioned. Like and then, like I said up front, I mean, you don't use all the monsters every game. You don't use all the dukes every game. You don't use all the domains every game. You can switch out the, the citizens and stuff like that. And I know they do have. I mean, it's so base game right now. Has a fair amount of replayability. I do agree with you also on the fact that, you know, again, this is the casual gateway style game. So is it some, it is something that you could break out all the time. Is it something that you're going to want to break out all the time and play back to back all the time? Not necessarily, not every night. I mean, if it happens, um, you, you play it on a game night and you decide to play two, three, four games of it, you're not going to be upset by that. But I don't think it's going to depends be depends on what you roll. <laughs> There's a, if he again buy the one and three if that's what you keep rolling. <laughs> no, uh, but you know, there's going to be other nights where you're going to be like, okay, let's let's find something else, right? I mean, but um, I I don't see uh, unless you do play this every unless it's one of those games where you're like, I bought this, I'm going to get my money's worth, I'm playing it every night. <laughs> Good <Lord. laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Don. Unless you do that, I don't think you're necessarily going to get tired of it. It's got enough replayability. And then, so that's the base game. And like you said, there's a couple expansion packs. Those I believe will be available for other people to purchase. Um, they were just part of the Kickstarter if you want to add them on or 
get the level or whatever it was. And then I do know they are planning an expansion already. So there is going to be more cards and more, more stuff involved with it. So that's kind of cool as well. So high on the replayability for me as well. All right. So the theme of Valeria card kingdoms. I thoroughly enjoyed the theme. I mean, I, I like fantasy games to begin with. I thought they did a really good job. Like I said, for the most part, I guess I didn't like necessarily because the Dukes, you don't look at that often. I guess I didn't really focus in on the Dukes, but all the other. The citizens and, and the monsters and all that stuff. I like the artwork. I like that they did what I like in, in card games. And that was like go full card and they didn't have a, a ton of like frames and all that stuff. So the bright, colorful, shiny object cards that they used uh, were appealing to me. So all of that together. Now thematically, is this a game where you're going to like start making up? Well, I don't know. It depends on how much if you, if you're, if you drink like Chris, maybe you will. <laughs> Start making up voices for your citizens or something. <laughs> I did that. Don't judge us. I got your back, Chris. <laughs> but, you know, in general, is this like one of those games where you're actually going to like fully immerse yourself in to what's going on? Eh, I, I think that that'll depend. I don't think so as much, but that doesn't bother me. I think it works for this game. And I'm more interested in, I guess, I mean, the, the gameplay was really good and, the artwork was really nice, and I and I liked the visual appeal of the game. What do you think about theme? Well, the name is Valeria Card Kingdoms, and that gives you no indication of what you should expect other than possibly <laughs> a card game. So the the name itself does not lend itself to a specific theme. So it's one of those rare cases where the name could be anything, not <laughs> the theme could be anything. It's It's a fantasy game. It's like pseudo dungeon crawl. There's monsters to fight. You got to get your people all rallied to fight the monsters kind of a thing. It works. There's a swords and sorcery theme here. It permeates everything. The art, you know, the, the, the tokens is magic or hearts, you know, uh, it's all there. It, it's gold. It's not just generic coins. Mm-hmm. So there's a strong sword and sorcery feel here. And, I, and I, yeah, and I like it. All right. So now we're on to fun factor slash overall for Valeria Card Kingdoms. What is your fun factor slash overall for this one? If I were to give this a number, I, I would probably say it's, it's a, it's a solid six or seven. It is not my favorite game ever. It is enjoyable. I could see this being something that's. Definitely all ages friendly, so I could see a lot of people in my family playing this, even if just uh, once or twice on vacation. I think this is a good game. Covers a lot of ba- uh, checks a lot of boxes for where and when you'd want to play it, and it's enjoyable. Everything works. Uh, everything is smooth, and there are no there's no gotchas anywhere. It's start to end an enjoyable game. I had a lot of fun with this one. I didn't, there wasn't anything that stood out to me that really irritated me with the game other than, again, minor quibbles for how to do certain things. You know, we, we did have to stop that last game that we played a little bit and kind of discuss what we thought the meaning of the domain was, you know, again, the, the slay a monster thing and kind of come to our own conclusion at that point. But other than that, and again, I, I had already looked up the Duke thing ahead of time. So we were fine there. That would have been a little bit of a, a head scratcher. Uh, I think too, because that one again has multiple ways to interpret it. Other than those 
couple of things though. Everything else flowed really well. The game, there was, there wasn't really a, I mean, especially once you've kind of played the game and you're used to it. And that is like the first round, mm -hmm. <laughs> really. Once you're in that room, I mean, it, it can flow as quick as you want it to. So it moves along at a really good pace. It all makes sense. It just clicks and it's there for you to check out. Again, it's beautiful artwork and, and everything else. If you get an engine going, you need more tokens. <laughs> get pennies. Get pennies or something. You might need <laughs> a, a spare set of tokens somewhere. But other than that, it's a, a great game that I really enjoyed. Uh, I will also say before we wrap up, they have uh, Villages of Valeria on Kickstarter right now. I was on the fence about backing that one, but since we've played this one and we played it a couple times and I knew we were going to review it, this, and it's a different game. Um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's not an expansion. It's a just set in the same universe. It's a different game, but knowing what they did with the mechanics here and seeing some of the mechanics over there and, and recognizing a couple of games that they were pulling from after we got to play this, they got my faith to go back villages of Valeria to, to check out what, what's going on with that game as well. Cause I think, I think they're doing right by this, this little universe they're trying to build. Don, what do you think? From listening to everything. I'd like to give it a try. All right. There you go. We're bringing it to Don's at some point. Or Don's coming over. One of the two. <laughs> All right. There you go. So that is our review of Valeria Card Kingdoms. What was that? It was uh, Card Kingdoms of Valeria. It was Valeria Kingdoms of Cards. One of those will work. <laughs> So now we're going to see what is Anime Don's recommendation for this time. Sponsored by Timothy D. Thank you very much, Timothy, for supporting us over on Patreon and allowing us to bring Don in to share his anime knowledge with us. What do you got for us, man? Well, my recommendation this time is a series called Bake Monogatari. Or rather, it's called the Monogatari series, with Bake Monogatari being the first one of the bunch based on a series of light novels by a guy named Nishio Isin. The name is a mashup of two words, Bakemono, which means monster or apparition, and Monogatari, which means story. So, Bakemonogatari is monstory? Eh, it doesn't really work. Anime ad adaptation, the first one was done in 2009, followed by adaptations of other novels, Nisi Monogatari, Nekomonogatari, Hanamonogatari, Tsukimonogatari, I think you get the point. And why they call it the Monogatari series. Just so you know, it's Chris has said that we've cleared the stage for Don because you're the man. So apparently you get even better when he gets drunk as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get. You have a fan. <laughs> it follows, a, well, at least the first series follows a guy named Koyomi Araragi. Araragi. Uh, the opening scene has him catching a girl who's falling or really more like floating. As it turns out, she has no real weight or very little weight. And she warns him not to tell anybody about that and puts a staple through his cheek to punctuate that. Uh, okay. Like you do. <laughs> like you do. Uh, it wasn't really such a bad thing for him because he's still part vampire. Really, he was a vampire for a little while, but he's gotten over that. But he's <laughs> I was just going to say, but he got, he got over better. it. <laughs> yeah. It's like... It's addressed. <laughs> it is. Uh, he's 
So he still has some of the effects, like very fast healing. So that wasn't such a big deal. And he offers to help her, and he takes her to his mentor, uh, an exorcist, to help her deal with her condition, which is due to a, an apparition. So it takes kind of a common premise in anime and manga, which is uh, gifted youngsters that battle apparitions. What sets this one apart is the very unique style of the show. It was done by Studio Shaft, with Akiyuki Shinbu directing it. Shaft. Sure. It's uh, the same per- <laughs> the same crew that did Madoka, Madoka Magica, which I talked about a little while ago. Now, with Madoka, I talked about artistically it was somewhat interesting with some sharp editing, use of light and shadow, things like that. But Monogatari series is Shinbu Unbound. He goes all out with his own unique uh, eclectic style. The art has a minimalistic look, but it's also very complex. Lots of interesting sharp edits, camera angles, and very heavy use of on-screen text. Now, I've talked before how animation as a medium doesn't have to represent reality directly. Kind of like a painting. It could do a still life that is close to the actual thing as you see as possible, or you can do something that more just represents what you're looking at. And you can do the same thing with animation, though you don't usually see that. But in this case, it's very much that. What you see in the show is really only a representation of the reality of the show. For a simple example, take a street corner. You'll have two characters standing on a street corner talking. It looks like it's some sort of street corner, but you'll have maybe the same sign repeated every couple of feet on into infinity, off into the distance. But you won't see any street lights or buildings or cars or other people. The, The point is that it is a street corner and that you know it is. It's not trying to look exactly like a real-life street corner. It's it's more like the ab- abstract thought. The series is also very focused on its characters more than uh, you see in other shows. It's, it's not a show of action scenes and other such developments. It's it's very heavily focused on conversations. You can show its uh, light novel roots that way. And almost all the conversations are simply two people talking. But these aren't your usual TV, film sort of conversations, which are really meant to drive the plot or character forward. These are more like verbal sparrings or dances. There's teasing, jabs, sarcasm, implication. And the conversations between different characters are kind of like different dances. To go with the analogy, two characters talking might be somewhat like a, a salsa, but then with a different character, it'll be more like a waltz. And as I mentioned, on-screen text, very heavy use. It has numerous uses, but the main use, which is especially more in the later seasons, is that it shows characters' inner thoughts. So they'll be having a conversation, and up would be flashing on the screen, kind of like a, an old silent film, text, which may match what's going, what they're talking about, and may even be the opposite, but it's really kind of showing what the lead character is thinking. You might say, for example, yeah, I'd be happy to go, and then flash on the screen, no, I wouldn't. What's curious about it is that it's really not on the screen long enough to read. You now, could say curious, or you could say irritating as hell! <laughs> Now, <laughs> I don't read kanji, so I don't know if maybe you can read that faster, but I, I don't think even in that language it makes a difference, whether it's English subtitles or kanji. It's really not there long enough to read for the most part. In fact, some of them are up there for literally only a couple of frames. Uh, that is, I am sure, intentional, and I believe the concept is that you're really supposed to catch just kind of vague glimpses and, and glimpses of what's, of what you're seeing inside their minds, not, taking it all in and reading it carefully, but 
just catching little tidbits here and there. I found it annoyingly subliminal. It is, and that's the point, whether it's annoying or stylistic, however you want to look at it. Now, if you're like me, it's like I'm sitting there with a freaking pause button the whole time. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because some of those are great, and I want to read them, but I think the right way to watch it is to take it all in and just have it just flashing in in front of you. This all put together is is a very surreal experience. What you're seeing isn't really the reality of the show, but it's a, a version of its reality. But the material of the show is as well. And this comes out more, especially in the second season and then later on. Um, in the second season, the apparitions that are bothering people aren't actually real. They're fake apparitions. But they are bothering people just the same, and they seem kind of just as real as the real apparitions of the first season. And as the show goes on, you see more seasons. The, the line between the real ones and the not real ones isn't really very clear, and maybe doesn't even exist at all. What matters isn't what they're, how real they are, it's how the characters are affected by it. And really, they're not so much apparitions as they are manifestations of their own psychological issues. In the first episode, the exorcist guy says something like, I can't save her, only she can save herself. Which you think is just kind of full of crap, because it sure looks like he can deal with that monster just fine. But as far as I've gotten in the show, seeing many seasons, I really do start to understand what he's talking about. As you go back to revisiting these characters and, and seeing them in different lights, and seeing that, Uh, Things aren't as resolved as you may think they are the first time. It's really more of a band-aid. It's a very uh, complex, interesting series uh, with the different pieces. Some take place before, some prequels, some sequels. And they all kind of weave together in this complicated tapestry of just really only a handful of characters. And it's uh, interesting what is essentially a monster story, but it's at its core, it's really more of a character story of people dealing with their own issues. Uh, Jordan, do you have any other points other than it being annoying? I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you here. I I couldn't finish it. I got through the second arc, the lost schoolgirl in the park. Yeah, yeah. The snail. Yes. It didn't engage me at all. Between the having to pause, and, and that one's just on me, as you say, possibly it's not designed to read every single thought, mm-hmm. but OCD, I have to pause and know everything that's <laughs> going on on the screen. Uh, and then... I just, I didn't find any of them particularly likable. You know, the, the exorcist or the main who's interacting with all these characters as, as he weaves in and out. I, I, I didn't find anybody engaging or likable. And it was just like, oh, sorry, Don, it's a miss for me. <laughs> That's fine. I, I know what you're saying about characters not being likable. It took a while. Maybe it's through, through even the second series, but you see a lot of different aspects of them. Uh, especially the main character as he's dealing with different people through the different arcs and seeing lots of different aspects of him. And he, as he changes, as various characters change, as their arcs are revisited over time. In fact, the, the character of the second series, who's the villain, who I kind of just despise because he's he's a villain character. It's his and, job. Ended up became, becoming one of my absolute favorites in one of the later arcs, which had him as the lead. Well, maybe I'll go back and give it a shot because I wasn't where you were coming, so I didn't bring it back with me. I noticed. <laughs> it's one that definitely, <laughs> it's one that definitely requires some investment, because it's not like you're just shut your brain off and watch sort of show. It's it's complicated, and you got to keep up with those subtitles and keep up with the flow of the conversations. I can understand why it wasn't dubbed, because that would be really hard to to get that certain poetic flow of these conversations in a dub form. But artistically, it's it's unlike pretty much anything out there in terms of visuals and. Editing, very unique stuff. What was the series again? The Monogatari series. 
First one being Bake Monogatari. Okay. You can find it on Crunchyroll as well as other places. There you go. And Chris wants to make sure that you know that uh, on Netflix, he's been adding anime to his my list. Now that he's working fewer hours, he'll be watching them. Well, enjoy. <laughs> All right. I'm going to need you to step out of the room for just a couple seconds. Why? Just for a couple seconds. Dare I ask? Wait, right, just get the mic away from you. Bring it over here. There we go. Ready? What we're watching, sponsored by Ryan C., one of our yeah. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> One of our Patreon supporters. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ryan C. <laughs> C for supporting us over on Patreon. Uh, you cannot con- deny the crest. And constantly being mocked by Jordan and paying for it. I don't think I'm mocking you. him. <laughs> what do you got, Jordan? <laughs> we're We're watching right now? We're watching. All right. Uh, the expanse finished up recently. Uh, that was really good. I like that. You can wave your hand all you want. It doesn't change it from being awesome. It was far from awesome. Uh, the usual Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of DC TV, uh, Arrow Flash and the Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, enjoying <laughs> all those. Legends is definitely the, the weakest of the three, but hopefully it'll grow as more characters die. Arch. <laughs> Well, I could care less about the Hawks. Didn't like them in the comics. <laughs> Not really looking forward to seeing one of them being a main for the duration of the show. Yeah, I, yeah, it, I agree with you. It's it's definitely the weakest of the three, but it, it's still in first season, and it's not. I mean, it's still decent and watchable. But you're right; it's some of it's taken a little while to kind of. Actually, of all of it, Rip has bothered me other days. Oh, he just <laughs> pisses me off. I mean. <laughs> I, if you get cast only because you were on Doctor Who, you don't deserve to be on that show. See, I liked Rory though. I, I, I know Rory. you hated him. I liked him. I liked him on Doctor Who. They've but- got Rory trying to be Captain Jack over in the DC universe now. And it, it really doesn't work for me. He is not able to do anything that leads me to have any kind of empathy for Rip Hunter. <laughs> Rip Hunter is one of my favorite characters. And he had such a really great arc in the last Booster Gold series, which is really all this is. So I, I, for, for me to sit and stare at him for 40 minutes every Friday when we get around to watching this, I'm like, why? Why are you here? <laughs> Just give me, you know who steals this show every week? Wentworth Miller. Just give me more. Just give me a Captain Cold show. <laughs> That's really all I want. This, have you seen the last up? I think we're caught up. There's, there's just this one throwaway line the, the when, when you're trying to get into the Russian prison. Yes. Yeah. This isn't my first prison. Yeah, like, yeah. You oh, know. Megan, Megan was like <laughs> over the moon. She was so happy. He, he, he just gets the perfect lines and he is just so wonderfully smarmy. He is like, but, but at the same time, he brings in what Captain Cold is. He's a, he's a criminal, but he's not a bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what Cold is in, in the books. And, I, I think he's my favorite. I'm starting to really, now that the firestorm is getting put together a little bit more regularly and it's not just Stein being all of firestorm and they're, mm-hmm. they're letting Jackson have some time. He's coming together more, but the Hawks, I could care less about. And, <laughs> uh, well, the Hawk now spoilers. Um, 
So it's definitely the weakest, but it certainly has the potential to grow. And then uh, I took Seppi's recommendation, and I have been watching Food Wars, which <laughs> is really fun. It is. Have you seen that? Not yet. It's. Uh, I've heard great things, though. It is. It's really good. It is. Uh, it's Iron Chef anime. It is, you know, <laughs> you know but it's. Uh, it's, but the, you know, the food is so good that your clothes fall off. It just gets blown off. It's that kind of stuff. And it's, it's like orgasmic food tasting to the point that your, your blouse or your pants, and it's not just the women. It's like the men's clothes come off too. It's, it's really, it's really, it's, it's good. It's funny. And it, it really is. I mean, they didn't go out, outright and say it, but in the first, in the first class with the French chef, the chef who never smiles, he doesn't say, I like cuisine, but that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, I like cuisine! Go cook from Iron Chef. So actually, that's what he said. Go cook. So it, it's, I'm only four or five apps into it, but it's very enjoyable. It's really funny. Well, last few months, I'll pick out a couple things that I watched. Um, one of them, Dararara, season two, first Just course. have a stroke or? Dararara. That's, that's really the name of it. Uh, Dararara is a series that I watched a, a few years ago, the, the first season of it. And gosh, I know, I, I remember really loving the show, but I'd forgotten how much. Getting back into that world, man, I was just so happy. It takes place in Akihabara in like a different version of Akihabara. And it's, it takes a different set of storytelling than you usually see. It's kind of the everyone's the lead in their own story sort of approach, where it's a number of different storylines that crisscross from time to time, containing all sorts of different characters, some of them fantastical. One of the characters is Adula Han from Irish mythology. She's a nice girl. And the the strange inner workings and crisscrosses with gangs and fights and all kinds of stuff in it. There's lots of things that happen in the show, and it, it's just a whole lot of fun to watch. So there's two more cores. One of them's still coming out, and I'm just excited as all heck to see the rest of it. Just this last weekend, I watched Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, the new TV series from a year ago or so, which is the follow-up to Fate Zero. I had seen the original Fate Stay Night series 10 years ago now, which follows a different storyline from the original Arrow game, and then the Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works movie a little while ago. So having seen those, I more or less knew the whole storyline anyway, but it was still an excellent watch. Really, really high-quality art, like movie quality. Really strong storyline, good characters, just really solid production all around. It wasn't quite on the same level as Fate Zero, but it was a great watch. And also in the Fate universe, sort of. Fate Collide, Liner Prism, Prisma Ilia Two-Way, which is the second season of the Fate Collide series, which takes some of the characters from the Fate Stay Night universe and turns them into magical girls and does a sort of weird parody show. But it's actually... Like really well told and really smart. They must watch this. I, it, it it works oddly enough. It works so much that they have now done a third season of it. So I watched the first season a while back. Uh, the first season was really good. The second season wasn't as good as the first, but it was it was solid. And they kept it a little shorter because it didn't have as much story to it. But it's kind of a transition piece, and now it's got me looking forward to the third one. Uh, Sword Out Online Two finally watched that. Finally came out. Really, really enjoyed it. it. Has the the next three arcs. Again, it doesn't try to be as good as that the first half of the first season, but it shouldn't try to either. It's just more stories of the same characters, and I'm really happy to see that. I'm going back in. No. <laughs> so dumb. 
And then uh, another one along the same lines of Trapped in a Video Game, a series called Overlord, 12-episode series on Funimation site. It takes a different approach to the Trapped in the Game setting. In this game, it used to be a really popular game, but it's on its last night. They're shutting down the servers. This guy who heads this super Star Wars Galaxies. Yeah. (laughs) Shed a tear for nothing there. Oh, harsh, dude. There are a lot of people that like that game. Well, not here. (laughs) Were you one of them? No, I hated it. It was ridiculous. Okay. I mocked the people that put their, my servers going down the last 10 minutes of my server videos up on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Nobody cares. So this guy, head of the super powerful guild that with their mighty mansion that nobody ever cracked, is just the last one to stay on there and stay there till the server goes down. And it's one of these VR things, so he's in the game. And after midnight, he's still there. And it's not sure why. And he can't log out, and he can't contact a GM. It's because IBM screwed up their change tool. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and stranger, all the NPCs they had guarding that now have personalities. And it, it really develops from there as he finds out it's not only is he trapped in this other strange world, and he's now a lich, but it's not the same world of the game either. He's somewhere else. He's got his whole mansion there, but he doesn't know where he is. Or what the rules of this new world are. And he takes a really interesting, cautious approach to it. How he tries to learn about the world, gets out a little bit, doesn't try to push things too far. It's a very interesting approach he takes to, to figuring everything out bit by bit. And how being a lich is now kind of changes personality. So he can just kill somebody and it's no big deal to him. Oh, being a lich will do that. Yeah. And he's it's, kind of, it's a transformation. It is. And he There's kind of, no going back. He muses about that, how strange it is that he's kind of lost his emotional attachment to things. But the series itself also takes kind of a darker tone with it kind of pushes into like a kind of grim fantasy world where if it's a party taking on a monster, that could very well just tear them apart and they're dead for good. And the series doesn't shy away from that at times. It just, it might just kill off characters you like at any time, sometimes brutally. All the better. I really, really enjoyed it and I would love to see more of it made. This is just 12 ups, you said? Just 12 ups called Overlord. I definitely recommend it. That I might check out. That sounds interesting. As long as he doesn't have a lightsaber in a gun game, we'll be good. <laughs> I like the lightsaber. <laughs> Before I go, of course, Chris has shared some things with us. He's almost done with the hundred. You know, we all watch stuff on YouTube, Chris. I mean, that's <laughs> how many cat videos you watch. Does... <laughs> and uh, Jessica Jones it was a good watch. All right, let's see. I, uh, we, Megan and I went and saw Deadpool along with many, 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 many other people. <laughs> uh, and we thoroughly enjoyed that and we keep trying to get Jordan to go see it. <laughs> it's worth it. Believe it or not. Jordan hates not. Deadpool. So, well, the well maybe not. <laughs> but I, I think it's an awesome movie. We're allowed to disagree. We are. You're allowed to be wrong. It's all right. And that once a year hasn't happened yet. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) I finished The Shield, not to be confused with Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I will not ever finish. One was good. (laughs) And the other one was Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) So we finished The Shield. Megan and I power watched that to the point where we were about to lose almost everything else we were watching because they were about to expire on Hulu. So we caught up this past week, but we watched all seven seasons of The Shield. That was great. Uh, we absolutely loved that show. 
Not sure how I feel about the ending, but I think it was appropriate. It was the best that anybody was going to get. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever watch that, Don? I did not. Okay. Let's see. Since you already talked about Legends of Tomorrow, I'll substitute in The Walking Dead is back. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you didn't, you weren't, you're not enjoying it? Uh, you know, the first half of this series I found relatively boring. Six apps to do a day and a half. And I really wasn't liking the way they're doing play, uh, that arc anyways. And now we're getting into Negan. Mm-hmm. And Negan is the character that put me off the book. Cause I thought, <laughs> cause that was like 24 issues. It was a two year arc. Mm-hmm. And it was, to my mind, just, him trying to see how many times he can work into a sentence and still have a coherent thought in the sentence. And I am not adverse to swearing. I swear. But it was just ridiculous. And it took two years to tell what was really a mediocre story. And it put me off the book. So seeing it on TV, if it takes two years, oh my God, that'll be. <laughs> Well, he won't be, he won't be swearing as much. No, no, he won't. <laughs> um, Coral. you know, the, the season, uh, the mid-season opener, every, a lot of people are kind of trying to say is the best, you know, episode ever. I think that, I mean, it was a good episode. For this month. <laughs> well, I think it was a good episode. I just think it, it just happened to be because, you know, so many people can complain about past seasons with lack of zombies and not understanding, you know, Man versus man, which is the real big thing in, in zombie shows. Then for this to be so many zombies in the first season or the first, first episode. I, but I, I've enjoyed the last couple of episodes. Um, the one they had apparently, and if, if you're watching, it's not a spoiler. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to spoil last episode, but it, you know, they did do getting rid of Carl's eye in the first, in the first episode, which was several weeks back. And we have said that, you know, we will we will talk spoilers of like two weeks or whatever, but apparently Carl losing his eye <laughs> turns him into Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> well, it's better than how they did him in the book because <laughs> there was one part where him and, and it was a, uh, Enid, the the other the oh yeah the girl his girl, his age yeah. were out doing things and I want you know what what they discovered and all that kind of crap and he's trying to get Enid to go back and he's just like Enid. Go. And, and he just kind of kept doing it. And I just looked over at, at Megan and I go, and while you're back there, Edith, get my tots. Gosh. And she's like, Oh my God. That is exactly who he sounds like right now. <laughs> A couple gangs wanted me to join because I've got some sick God, nunchuck moves. Skills. God. The memes just about go, that. Go, The memes about that app have been better than the app. Hey, Coral. <laughs> Coral, I finally got you that thing you were asking for. It's an, an iPad. iPad. It's an iPad, Coral. <laughs> I know. I love that one. And the other one. Hey, can you tell me what happened on Walking Dead last night? I only saw half of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we are watching that again uh, now that it's back. And uh, let's see. Yeah. I mean, we're caught up with all the, the DC, the uh, WB DC verse <laughs> as well. And, uh, then I'll just, uh, I had a disagreement moment with my wife on, in the flash. Cause it was, that was the second part of the earth two one. Mm-hmm. So killer frost was there mm-hmm. and Sarah was like, yeah, that's not a good look for her. 
<laughs> no, now, I will disagree with you all night long on that. That is a very good look for her. We're going great back to my teenage years. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a really good look for her. <laughs> and then let's see how just, um, I'm starting, I'm trying to start back up into uh, young justice season two. Uh, mm. so I not very far in that. And, uh, that, but that's what I, I'm, if I have time at night and I'm not like feeling like crap and passing out, I'll watch a couple episodes of Young Justice season two. What we're reading slash listening to sponsored by Nathan H. Thank you very much, Nathan, for sponsoring us over on Patreon and allowing us to talk about the things that we read and that Jordan usually listens to. Cause I don't really do a whole lot of. I don't do audiobooks. I do podcasts. I guess I can start throwing more of those in, but yeah, but we limit it to five now. I so. know. Well, I'm not reading a lot these days either, though. I got nothing. Go. There we go. Go. Reading slash listening to. Reading Captain Vorpatrol's Vor Alliance. It's the latest book in the Miles Verkosingen saga from Louis McMaster Bujol. Has nothing to do with Miles. It's all about his cousin Ivan. Really funny, really good book. He's, uh, He's a secondary character. He's the sidekick usually to Miles. So it's good seeing him get a full, uh, a full chance to be a full character. Freefall. I finished that. That was one of the Android books. Didn't really finish the way I thought it was going to go. I got to the end of the book and I'm like, well, where's the rest of the story? But in the end, it was just about a beat cop following the bad guys and getting the bad guys. And that is what happened. I just expected it to go somewhere else. I'm listening to. Wanted Man, the 17th, I think, Jack Reacher book. It's a Jack Reacher book. <laughs> uh, and I started on the first arc of the next part of the Big Trouble in Little China comic books. They're now Big Trouble in Little Tokyo. Don't read the first 12 where they really? follow up Big Trouble in Little China and they do that really well and stop. That's what I got. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Chris says, Casual game and game trade magazine, and he's looking for other recommendations. Well, apparently Playboy doesn't have nudity anymore, so yeah, that's work safe. <laughs> I haven't read a ton, like I said. Uh, the one thing that I, the one book I have started kind of reading, or I, I read, and I'm kind of going back through, was it's called Voiceover Legal. So, any guesses on what that might be about? In the criminal justice <laughs> exactly. system, there are two voices. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other than that, I've been head down in scripts again. So I turned in, I talked about it before. I turned in my, uh, my lines for Last Stand of the Wreckers, the, uh, Transformers, uh, audio drama thing I was doing. I have to turn in my character for a supernatural comic character that I'm doing. And then I'm doing a Kickstarter voiceover where I'm doing the entire thing and actually helping them, uh, tweak the script for a little bit. The supernatural TV show? It's a, yeah, it's, it's a TV show, but yeah, based on the comics or one set of the kind, one trade or whatever. So you know you have to talk like this, right? I have to do something along that line. I I haven't I haven't figured out what my voice is going to be yet for General Cox. So. Well, I think we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I uh, I have to turn in those lines. I think before uh, or beginning of March, I believe he gave me because um, he. I'm doing other stuff for him in the another supernatural series he has. He wanted to know if I would do a voice in in the series he's going to do first, because um, I'm doing original characters in the other series. It's he's basing it in the in the world, but it's his own scripts. But he he's going to do the comic series first. So he uh, asked me if I would voice something in there. And I said yeah. So yeah, 
That's it. What we're playing. Sponsored by Torin. Thank you very much, Torin, for sponsoring us over on Patreon and allowing Jordan to go. <laughs> uh, playing some X-Wing, some Attack Wing, Star Trek, and D&D. Really enjoying XCOM on the computer right now. XCOM 2, I should say. Having a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm painting, still painting my Renegades for Assassin's Arm Strike Force. Boom. Done. Protospiel, which we mentioned before, was awesome. Played a bunch of games there. It was great. Uh, since then, uh, I cracked out Titan, finally, after a long time. Classic old game. I got some newbies that are interested in playing. We sat down in the morning, explained the game, told them, you know, this is a 12-hour game. During the whole day. Four hours later, I wiped three of the four of them off the board, and the other one gave up. <laughs> yeah, I saw my chance to wipe off three of them at once, and all right. It was a mercy killing at that point, anyway. <laughs> they said they are going to practice online before they come at me again. <laughs> nice. In the same group, I just started a, another campaign of Risk Legacy. This is now my fourth campaign of the game, and I really enjoy it. And playing it with all new players is just all that joy again of them being shocked at the stuff we're opening. What? That's happening? It's just, it's <laughs> just super fun again. And can you guess what game I've been playing a ton lately? Anyone guess? Uh, uh, Valeria Card Kingdoms. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> Mike, all the expansion stuff came for Cthulhu Wars. And... Man, I thought the game had replayability before, but I had no idea. It is many, many times more replayable with different maps, with strange alien worlds. The dude holding the lantern makes that much of a difference? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is just a bonus, but just adding in different monster types that anyone can summon, adding in different great old ones anyone can summon, playing on some weird alien worlds, just all this, you know, different factions to base four. It's so much more stuff in it, and just game after game is so different. My gosh, we've been playing it a lot. On the uh, video game side, Tales of Grace's F. We are now caught up to where we were three years ago when we stopped playing. Hopefully we can get the game finished before my sister has her second kid. <laughs> and we lose another three years. <laughs> uh, it's still my favorite combat system of the Tales games, mostly because it's actually hard. Of course, the way we play it, as soon as we unlock hard mode, we switch to hard mode. As soon as we unlock evil mode, we switch to evil mode. As soon as we unlock chaos mode, we switch to that. And we've been suffering ever since. Every time we go into a new area, it takes about half hour for us to learn how to fight there <laughs> as we get just slaughtered. And uh, my Sunday night group, we're still playing Heroes of the Storm, even after all these months. Which, partly because it's just convenient. Everybody has it, and we never know who's going to show up or be how long. So it's jump on and, and play some more. But, you know, still really enjoying it. Still having fun with it. I mean, I hate Blizzard, but I enjoy that game. <laughs> all right, let's see. Chris has got uh, Tomb Raider on the PS3. Mombasa, Legend of the Five Rings CCG, and Roll for the Galaxy. All right. And I've got played End of the Line, Honey Wars, and Valeria uh, card kingdoms. So reviews for all three. <laughs> uh, but we play, I played it above and beyond the need for review. And I think at least once Jordan and I just kind of made ourselves say, hey, we're doing this because we need another review, right? Wink, wink. Let's play another game. Uh, so, so we did that. Uh, other than that, I've been, I haven't played a whole lot, but I have been playing Eldhelm, which I don't know if it's on iOS or anything, but it's on Google Play. And it's basically like a, uh, card, like a CCG style card, kind of card game, which is very, it's, it's kind of a cool, it's a very interesting game. I've been having fun with it. Uh, it's got a learning curve because their tutorials don't really help you out as much as you would like. But once you kind of get into it and get the swing of it, it's very interesting because, 
you've got a certain amount of cards, but for the most part, you can only play like two cards at a time. But some of them have like this will last for three rounds or that kind. Of, so you can can kind of start building cards up, but they all got timers on them, and it's just a t- attack, defend, back and forth between who you're going against. It's it's been a good time killer and waster. I it, it was had a decent rating. I was looking for something new to just kind of you know mind and veg out on and and Eldhelm E L D H E L M is what I chose for that. Chris says, oh, in Marvel Dice Masters. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Marvel Dice and Ma- Masters Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think that's Dice all Masters supposed. D&D. I don't think that's all supposed it's to run together. Two different games. <laughs> I don't think that's all supposed to run together. <laughs> I'm reading what's on the screen <laughs> exactly as it's on the screen. Well, he's drunk. It's okay. <laughs> I know. It's, we love you, Chris. <laughs> Keep on being you. <laughs> all right. So um, that is all I had. So that will. Wrap up another episode. Thanks, Chris, for hanging out with us this evening. And again, if you want to hang out with us uh, some Tuesday evening, every other Tuesday, typically, if we can, if it, if it, we can make it happen, we uh, we record and we're on Mixler. And then every once in a while, randomly, we just have another episode, like we did this last Friday, uh, where we actually interviewed somebody. So again, if you join us on Mixler, you can get notified when we do that. And with that, um, Don, thanks for coming again. Thanks for having me. And with that, we'll end this episode. So I'm Jeff King. And I'm the Canadian. Thanks for listening. Crest. No. Thank you for checking out United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find the Game Crafter official podcast a weekly podcast dedicated to the tabletop game print-on-demand company, The Game Crafter, and its growing community. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.